Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to the 28th edition of Where They At. My name is Nabate Isles, and it's always a pleasure to speak with luminaries, Hall of Fame caliber individuals on the show. I talk with retired athletes, uh, and coaches, and or executives, but this gentleman that I'm interviewing is not retired yet. He's still going. 44 years at Syracuse University, 50 years total coaching there, six years an assistant, 44 years as a head coach, and accomplishments that, that he has set forth has been outstanding for the entire city of Syracuse and central, the whole central New York area. He led Syracuse University to final fours in four decades, four decades, national championship in 2003 that he won. He's participated in five total Final Fours, 19 Sweet 16s, and 33 NCAA tournaments overall. And he's made the postseason either the NCAA tournament or the NIT tournament in every season that Syracuse was eligible. That's just incredible. And of course, he is a Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer. He was inducted in 2005. And also he wrote uh, with Jack McCallum of Sports Illustrated, wrote a book, uh, autobiography called Bleeding Orange, 50 Years of Blind Referees, Screaming Fans, Beast of the East, and Syracuse Basketball. What a title, by the way. Definitely, it's a great read and you should check it out for sure. It really chronicles his fascinating life. It is my pleasure to introduce Coach Jim Beheim on Where They At. How are you, sir? Great to be with you. It's, you know, it's obviously been the most trying time uh, for everybody. Yes, sir. Especially coaches trying to get their players on campus, trying to keep them healthy and, uh, you know, trying to keep them focused on, you know, just being able to be here. There's uh, it's been, you know, four months of sitting home is not good for anybody mentally. I think more mentally than anything yes. else. I think the reason I think kids need to get back to school at all levels, I'm not talking about college, college, high school, grade school, is just mentally. Mm -hmm. Kids are not used to being home without their friends for four or five months and to continue that on more. Uh, I think is a, a major mistake. I think kids, the biggest thing of schooling is to be in school with your friends and to the socialization that you yes. learn in that situation. Obviously, textbooks are important and what you learn from teachers is important. Mm -hmm. But other aspects of education are so important and kids are missing that. And I, I'm just not convinced that we're going to get a vaccine any time soon. And to just keep waiting for that I think is a is a big mistake. Coach, have you been in any discussions on how the 2020-2021 season will start, what what the possibilities are, the protocols, anything that anything that you've heard? Well, we've been discussing this weekly with the ACC coaches, with the the ADs meet twice a week, uh, the presidents meet uh, in our league. Uh, we meet with a group from the NABC every week, a coaches, small coaches group. Uh, you know, at Syracuse, we have a protocol. We have our players back. They were tested coming in. Uh, they are limited in what they can do practice-wise. Mm -hmm. uh, 
we talk to them about not going places, you know, not going out. We've had our players here now for three weeks, and they're, you know, they're doing good. Mm -hmm. uh, they're observing the protocols, uh, temperature taken every day and recorded. Um, masks are worn anytime you're not playing basketball. It's bad to wear them when you're playing basketball. People mm -hmm. realize that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're, we're observing all those protocols. If we play and when we play, we, nobody knows yet, but there will be obviously testing uh, continuing every week up to a game if you have a game. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, there'll be no fans, obviously, for a while, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, our travel is in the bigger conferences. It's better because we're chartering. So we're not – we don't have to get on a commercial airline. Mm -hmm. and we can go place to place and keep isolated pretty well, play the game and charter back. So, you know, we think we can do that. Uh, I think football will be first, you know, mm -hmm. We're seeing examples around the country of golf and soccer and baseball and basketball getting going. Uh, obviously, we learned a lesson from the Miami Marlins baseball team. They, oh. they weren't careful, obviously, and yes. they get a lot of guys infected. So uh, other baseball teams are doing great. You know, there's going to be incidences. There's, it, going forward with this, there's going to be times that guys are going to test positive, and you have to isolate them really quick. Uh, get them through that protocol and then you can get them back. But if you start the season earlier, then you can have room for cancellations. Mm -hmm. You have cancellations. You can make it up. The other thing with my point is if you, we normally start November 10th and people, a lot of people are saying, well, January 1st, January, what's going to change? between November 10th and right. November 1st. Exactly. And the weather's colder too. You know, like many people are sick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's going to change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just have to figure out this is what we're going to do. And in fact, it's really would be safer for our players. In some ways, there'll be no students from Thanksgiving through January. Right. So that six, really six week period, seven, no, it might be eight weeks. There'll be no students on campus, so that'd be the safest time to play your games. Uh, but we don't know what's going to happen. This thing changes every day. Uh, up in upstate New York, we've been really good. People have really observed protocols. Our we're, we're test results are below 0.8 positive, yeah. which is you know outstanding. Yeah, and uh, so I mean we're making the right decisions here but is everybody around the country obviously not and uh we just have to keep working on this and somehow i think you know we'll get through a basketball season and a football season i think but there'll be there'll be some ups and downs stops and turns you know i think in some leagues sports is not that important and i think you know, they, they save money by canceling fall sports because yeah. they don't, make, don't have anything at stake. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's unusual. To me, if you're going to bring two, 3,000 students to campus anyway, yeah. you, should, you should be able to bring your athletes in there. They're going to be more careful than your normal student. I That's think. for sure. That's but, for sure. you know, everybody's going to make these decisions and, uh, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. No one has the answer. I certainly don't. But I, I do believe we have to start. I don't think we can wait. 
I don't think there's anything gained by waiting. The flu vaccine took years and it still doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, people mm-hmm. get flu vaccines and get the flu, you know. Yep. Yep. Um, people forget that I think 88,000 people died from flu complications last year in this country. I mean, it, it happens. Yes. Uh, and uh, we just have to try to move forward and hope that there is a vaccine. Uh, the other problem on that part is 50% of the people say they won't take the vaccine. Yeah, right. <laughs> what does that do? You know, I mean, I, and how effective would it be? Sometimes those vaccines are not effective until they work on them for some period of time. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I, I don't. I don't have the answers. Nobody does. Here on the 28th edition of Where They At with Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, one of the great coaches in basketball history, Coach Jim Beheim on the show. And, and Coach, um, now for Syracuse, since Syracuse is up in, in upstate New York, will you play regional games with teams in that area plus ACC games? Well, the problem in our region, a lot of teams are not going to play. Cornell is a team we play every year is not going to mm. play. Uh, until January. So those games usually are early. Right. The other schools, I don't think, have decided on basketball yet that we mm-hmm. would normally play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and again, one of the problems with smaller schools, why they're not going forward, they can't afford to test. Yeah. You know, Division two and three schools have canceled fall. They can't test every athlete. They don't have the money that, you know, we are lucky to have. Mm-hmm. It's going to cost several million dollars to test all of our students and all of our student athletes. Right. So you can only play somebody that's testing like you are. You can't yeah. play a team, bring a team in here to play that isn't testing. Yeah. So I think at the end of the day in football, they've gone to all conference games. And mm-hmm. I think in basketball, it's probably likely we all go to all conference games. Right. And Maybe we could play conference, non-conference games against the conference that's testing like we are. Like the Big East. Like the Big East or something. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. play Big East teams anyway. Right, right. So mm-hmm. maybe we can do that. Maybe we could come together in a pod it could, with no fans. It wouldn't matter whether it was in Syracuse or Albany, wherever it was, and play a weekend with four teams coming in. Right. And you could play two or even three games. Mm-hmm non-conference and in one weekend yeah take the week off test everybody make sure everybody's still healthy and move on to the next weekend so there's a lot of things you can do but i think in my in somehow they're going to do everything they can to to try this we know more now when we stopped in the spring we didn't know anything we just knew that this was spreading in other countries and as it turned out was spreading here Mm-hmm. Uh, now we know more about treating it. We know more about being safe with it. And yeah. obviously all sections of the country didn't understand the rules of how you be safe. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. So we're, we're, we have to fight. We have to live with that. But hopefully even from that example, people are starting to realize they can't go into big groups, big crowds. Yeah. Right. Um, It's to be played out, and nobody really knows the answer right now. Well, and coach, you know, and speaking of of COVID nineteen and the the just the dramatic effects, the tragic effects on this country, recruiting 
Um, how has that been altered? How have you been able to, to still recruit effectively? I'm sure you're doing a lot of Zoom calls. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because in reality, recruiting, when this hit in the spring, we're two years ahead in recruiting. In other mm-hmm. words, we're already focused on the kids. Not that we're bringing the ones that are here now. We already have those kids in November. So normally this summer, we're going out to what I would say is babysit guys. Ah, okay. We're coming to see you play. We love you. You know, we want you, you know, and everybody's telling that to the kid. And the kid wants to see you there because he wants you to be interested in him. But we've already evaluated the kid. We already Mm -hmm. want the kid. So by not going out, it did not hurt us in terms of that. Now, some summers we might find somebody that we hadn't known about, but that's, that's the casualty of this. You, might, you won't find that guy. Uh, but we got one guy early on a Zoom call and got a commitment. And, you know, we're doing – we've got a commitment for the next year's class, the 22 class. Mm-hmm. Well, so we're – kids have to – this is what it is now. It's Zoom calls and talking to kids on the phone or on the, on the Zoom or on the phone and – you know, you're moving forward because it doesn't look like we'll be on the road recruiting until maybe next year before mm-hmm. we're actually on the road because we can't travel to other states because there could be a quarantine of 14 days coming back. And so you're, you're just going to do most everything by, by Zoom. Right, right. And talk about, um, I mean, you've had, you have two major recruits in Benny Williams and DR Johnson. DR Johnson 2021, Benny Williams. We can't talk about those guys. Oh, recruiting. You can only talk about guys after their the commitment day. Everything is verbal now, anyway. So we, we cannot talk about other players. But, you know, we're going to move forward and we're going to try to, to continue to recruit good players. And uh, there's been a, a lot of commitments, I think, for next year. I think that 60% or 65% of the top players in the country have already committed for the 21 class. Outstanding. Wow. Well, wow. the country. So I think kids realize they're not going to get out. They're not going to be seen. So this is what it is. I've got to decide based on what I know. A lot of kids have already visited campus mm-hmm. prior to this, younger players. So – I feel bad for the under kind of the under the radar kid that's going into a senior year, hasn't been recruited much, mm-hmm. hasn't seen much and doesn't really hasn't hasn't been able to show how he can play. And so that kid is kind of getting you know, he's kinda overlooked a little bit. So yeah. you know, we won't know with that kid he it'll be harder for him. The top hundred players they usually have a pretty good idea of what they want to do, and they probably visited mm-hmm. most of the schools they're interested in. But there's certainly some uncertainty there, for sure. Well, well, no doubt. And, and, and Coach, you're involved with um, the John McClendon Minority Leadership Initiative, which I, I saw your name on a list of, of great coaches uh, like yourself. And, you know, the mission is to empower and develop minorities who inspire, aspire to be principal leaders in athletic administration. Talk about how special of a cause that is for you this, to be part of. I mean, this is one of the best programs uh, that I've ever seen. I mean, we're, we all want the Black Lives Matter to work. We all support it. We all verbally support What are we doing? Mm-hmm. Right. What are you doing concretely to help 
minority students get ahead. Yes. This program hopefully will get 50, 60 coaches involved at least and more in the future. Each coach puts enough money in to fund a position at his school, not in basketball, but in administration. A minority student, and they'll go through the McClendon Foundation, they have already have 200 applications for this position. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we will hire that person at Syracuse. They will be an intern. They'll have enough money through this program to live, have their all that taken care of, and they'll work in the athletic department under the athletic director or the associate athletic director, work in administration, marketing, work in uh, ticketing, uh, work in compliance, mm-hmm. get the whole kind of help develop an all-around idea of athletic administration. And that's where there's a big need for minority students, minority hires. In, in, bas- in the at- basketball part, you know, I have two minority assistants. They're the, the best assistants I could have gotten. Yes, sir. Not That's because good. they're minority, because they're good. Right, right, right. right. But in administration throughout college, if you look at it, there's not enough African-Americans yeah. represented yeah. in the athletic department. This program will get 50. You know, the best way to get a college job, I tell players, this, uh, ex-players or coaches that want to, is to get a assi- grad assistantship or an internship. This is what this is. This is a fancy where this internship is a grad assistant in the athletic department. Only mm-hmm. you're getting more money. So you, you know, grad assistant. I remember when I got it, I made $2,000 a year and got my coursework. <laughs> <laughs> that was a long time ago. 2000 was worth, you know, 10. We have five figures now. Yep. <laughs> now that position pays enough to take care of all your expenses and uh, live comfortably while you're learning. So I think that will open up a lot of career opportunities, and that will only mushroom. We get 50 in the guys in there, girls in there this year, and they, some of them, 30, 20, 30, 40 of them get jobs, and next year we bring in 50 more candidates. Mm-hmm. And you keep doing that, you're going to start putting a, a fairly significant number into college programs. Right. So I think it's a great program. John Calipari and Tommy Amaker really have, have pushed this. And now we're getting more, more people involved. I, I just think this is an action program. It's doing something. So mm-hmm. that's, yes, that's what I think is important. Like here at Syracuse, we've been for, we work with the Boys and Girls Club, which affects predominantly minority students mm-hmm. in, in this city. So we put a lot of funds into that to help young kids because that's what we have to help young mm-hmm. kids get meals, get computer access. You know, everybody talks about homeschooling, but in the city of Syracuse, 40 to 50% of the kids don't have Wi-Fi. Hmm, or, so yeah. How, how, are they, how are they getting, when, when people go on the air and say, well, homeschooling is, is good. We can get a lot. What yes. do the kids get? Right. It's not a level playing field at all. Right. It's not level. I mean, it's, you get, they get no homeschool. So, and why do, and, and talk, they talk about, well, put more money into that, put money. Well, we're going to homeschool for the next two years. I mean, now you don't get the other part of the education. I think we need to put the money into the schools and get people to come back. Schools in our area are opening. Some of them have spaced out students. They got the whole student body coming in. Others yep. have alternates, but you know, there's space in a lot of schools. 
it's like college. I remember they talk about college professors. Mm. I never got within 30 feet of my college professor. It was in the lecture courses. They're 30 <laughs> feet wet, lecture. Exactly. You know, they're, they're pretty safe, you know. And even in a classroom where you have 30 kids, usually in a college classroom, 20, 30, it depends on the course. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually you're 10 feet away. That's right. You can spread out. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you can spread out. And we're testing all of our students, so we'll have some control of, you know, how healthy our student body is as well. There's a lot going forward. And, you know, I, my, my only thinking is somehow we have to figure out a way to, to move forward. Well, as much as we can. No doubt. And speaking of moving forward and, and, and giving back to, to your beloved Syracuse, uh, the city of Syracuse, you and Julie hosted um, the 2020 Basketball Live. Um, it was a great event that raised $550,000 for COVID-19 relief in central New York. Um, how special was that to be able to do that with Julie and all the charitable efforts you both do with your foundation as well? It was amazing because we normally have a gala and it's, you know, about 800 people attend and we raise in the neighborhood 500,000 mm-hmm. which is good in upstate New York uh, not being able to do that uh, we decided on the virtual we didn't have any idea that this would work or how it worked and the local station did an unbelievable job they did tremendous yes. work and taped all kinds of interviews with with people from around the country Carmelo mm-hmm. Mike Krzyzewski, Mike Hopkins, everybody threw his and contributed. And I mean, it it was okay. I mean, it was not, you know, it's not the same as in person, but it was okay. And people just supported it. We made more money. We netted more money than we have ever because, you know, you obviously no expenses. Mm-hmm. But, uh, all that money goes into the COVID relief and into the city, you know, for kids. It's all for kids. And, uh, you know, we're we're very blessed to get every year to get raised usually between seven and 800,000 total throughout mm-hmm. the whole year, all the events that we run. And we put that back into the community. Uh, it's great to be able to put the money you raise back into the community. We do still raise some for cancer research, but the money all, even that money stays with a local researcher. So we're not sending the money into the national we're keeping it here mm-hmm. and we can help small we helped there's a, a local guy he's been great for years he gets bicycles that have been thrown away or discarded, and he repairs them him and some of his friends they repair them and give them out mm-hmm. and the last couple of years we give them about five or six thousand dollars which isn't a lot and but he can triple the amount of bikes he gets and yeah. gets so he gives out hundreds and hundreds of bikes for free. Mm-hmm. And it's just a small, such a small investment, five or $6,000. Yes. Hundreds of kids get a free bike. That's, that's the kind of project that we want to try to help. Somebody that, you know, is doing something like that. We, we help a lady who gives out backpacks every year to every school kid in the city. Every city, wow. every kid. Wow. Backpack. And we help her with the backpack. She gets materials from around town to fill the backpack up. She does a one-day festival for kids. And, you know, it's a small amount of money, but it, it serves a lot of kids. Uh, absolutely. And then, wow, here with uh, the great 
great coach Jim Beheim has led Syracuse University as a head coach for 44 years, as, as a coach in general for 50 years, and he's a Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer inducted in 2005. Now, Coach Beheim, you grew up in central New York as well, at Lyon, in Lyons, New York, which is uh, 57 miles from Syracuse. And, um, and it was funny, your family, your family comes from, from uh, a family of morticians, you know, like a few home that's really deep so um but but talk about how your parents jim and janet you know both very competitive people both involved in sports you know how that really translated to you my father was really competitive like me i mean he pushed me beat me and everything until i could beat him and then (laughs) beat him he stopped playing me in most of the things and there'll be yelling (laughs) matchups my mother was very competitive but in the opposite way she just competed but she didn't care she would she didn't want mm. her she, she just wanted to compete mm-hmm. she was good she was a great golfer and she was a, a, a championship bridge player uh both my parents were um uh, played in tournament bridge and everything my father was really hard my mother just smiled and laughed her way through mm-hmm. it but uh, um yeah i got that from home and uh really competitive people yep i worked in the funeral business growing up like you have to in a small town, everybody pitches in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I knew early I didn't want to be in that business, but uh, <laughs> it was uh, a growing up experience. And, uh, you know, I was glad when I could get to coaching. <laughs> well, yes, yes, indeed. And, and then you went on to Syracuse and you had, you know, great mentorship. It's interesting, you know, you walked on, you didn't have a basketball scholarship. Um, and you had the opportunity to um, meet Dave Bing, uh, someone that that became, of course, the Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer as a player. Uh, talk about how he inspired you as an individual, uh, not just as a player and as a person. You had the, the B&B show. Well, was, uh, it was, I was a very small B. Uh, but was, uh, I was fortunate. In high school, I had a great coach who taught me a lot and got me started. He was one of the best high school coaches I've ever seen. And then I had a great college coach, and I had uh, Dave – uh, who I saw the first day in, in the gym, and I said, well, this guy's special. You know, he's he'll be one of the great players. You just had to see him one time. He was a modern player. He could run and jump like anybody today, athletic as anybody today, and yet, you know, he could shoot smart, knew how to play the game. But he was just good off the court as well. We roomed together for two years, and he understood people uh, and how to navigate through every situation. With, mm-hmm. with, when you're dealing with your teammates or your uh, peers outside of basketball or uh, the administration or the coaches, he, Dave knew, understood, had an understanding of how that worked. I learned a lot. And uh, of course he went on to a great career in the NBA, owned his own business, a steel company grew from zero, two people to 300 people. Yeah. And uh, then was of course the mayor of Detroit during a very difficult time but he's just been successful in everything he's done because he knows, understands the world and people. And he runs a foundation today in Detroit where he helps young kids from the inner city, Uh, tremendous program. So, but he was great. Uh, He taught me a lot and uh, he was a great leader uh, on and off the court. And when you can get exposed to that early, it helps you. Yes. It really helps you. 
because they're, they're really not that many great leaders. Mm. <laughs> you know, in, in every college basketball team, there's leadership, but there's how many great leaders there are. Uh, there aren't, I don't, really not that many. They're really great in all aspects. Uh, yes. Anything was that. And so for me, that was a huge, really kind of uplifting experience for me to get that education and, and also play with one of the great players that ever played. No doubt about that. And, and then um, under Roy Danforth, you were part of his, uh, his staff uh, at Syracuse right after your, a little bit after your playing days. You played some professional basketball and everything. And, and then you joined Coach Danforth, made the Final Four in 1975. Uh, and that pretty much you were able to then join and be, not join, but be the head coach. You were promoted to be head coach in 76. Well, the, the rest is history. About, yeah, the best thing about the Final Four is it, it enabled Coach Danforth wanted to go back to the South. He played in the South. He played. Mm -hmm. And so he, you know, got a job in the South at Tulane, which at that time he, they thought was going to emerge. It didn't, but thought it could emerge. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he just wanted to get back to that area. And obviously the best thing that could have happened to me because I was in position and being able to get this job. So, yep. uh, it turned out really well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it did. Yes, it did. And and just uh, now, uh, and speaking of leadership, more about leadership, you mentioned in your book, you talked about how you felt you were ready to take the lead, but then the responsibilities and many more responsibilities, you feel responsible for everybody, not just yourself. That's really deep. And, and also you talked about organization and getting, and now as you're older, getting rest so you can be able to still be functioning. Talk about your principles of leadership and, and, and what made you such a successful uh, leader well, and, and mentor. I think in the beginning, you do try to do everything, you mm -hmm. know, maybe you need to because you're organizing and you don't, you know, you're just starting out with new assistant coaches. And uh, so you're, you're really kind of doing everything and you're looking at everything mm -hmm. in recruiting. For example, you're looking at day one, how are we interacting with this kid? How's the next step? What are we doing today? And when you do that with 40 kids, <laughs> you try to be involved every step of the way with 40 kids. That's a big, that's almost a full-time job. And then you have your players and you're trying to involve, get involved with every academic step they make. Mm -hmm. Every class I'm going, I'm taking guys to class because I'm worried they're having trouble getting there and, or I'm going to class and making sure they're there. Mm -hmm. Now I have people that do all that. Yeah. So advise them. They look at their daily work and at the end of the day, they give me a report. So I know in two minutes, what it took me a whole day to find out <laughs> when I was head coach. So it's about delegation and getting good people. If you get good people, they do that work. They do the recruiting work. I just overlook it. They give me a little report, heads up. This is what you have to do, coach. This is what the kid's thinking. So I don't have to do all the first 22 steps. Mm -hmm. and so that saves me time to work on the big overall plan uh, of what we're doing and to you know work on some other stuff obviously there's more there's a lot of stuff involved with running a basketball program and you know you want to delegate as much as you can because you have to focus on the things that you really have to focus on so um it's it's part of leadership is having good people you have to have good people whether you have to be able to hire good people and have good people with you 
then you have to be willing to delegate and listen to them and mm-hmm. their decisions. Uh, that's hard sometimes for young coaches to do that. So yep. you learn to do that and you learn like with everybody has their own little things. I have to get a lot of sleep or I'm not good. So I make sure I carve that out mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, take care of that. And you have to exercise. I'm when, probably from when I stopped playing from, you know, 30 on to 67 or eight, I just played golf. I didn't really do a lot. Wow. Wow. About 68, when I was 68 or nine, I realized 70, maybe I started to not move as well. My back was hurting. So I started to do Pilates that helped me help my back. Uh Uh And then I started swimming this year for the first time. Wow. Years where I swim five or six days a week. Um, I can't do cardio work. I'm running. My knees are too bad. You know, they're not terrible, but they're not good enough for that. Mm-hmm. I read a little book by a guy, and he's talking about when you get older, you have to exercise. I and mean, he did a lot. I mean, he started exercising every day, like two hours, and <laughs> uh, you know what you eat and all that. I mean, and he's right, but you know, I couldn't. I'm not going that far. But the swimming every day, 30, 40 minutes. That's that's a lot. You swimming's one of the better things you can do because you're using everything. Every yep. And so that's been good. And I still do Pilates, which is core work, which has been good for me. So um, all that's important. That's really important as you get older, especially. Um, I feel just as good now as I did when I was 65, when I started really thinking about this work and uh, mm. that's what you have to do when you get older. Well, absolutely, Coach. And uh, here with uh, the great Coach Jim Beheim, Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer and Coach, um, I wanted to ask you about the Big East. I mean, you you are one of the main reasons why the Big East is one of the most historical conferences ever. There's been ebbs and flows. The 1980s was the peak with you, Louis Conaseca, of course, your chief rival, Big John Thompson II, um, uh, Rolly Massimino, PJ Colismo, et cetera. And then, and Rick, pa- Rick Pitino, your former assistant, was at Providence. Then the 90s, you made the championship game in 96. And then you had uh, Big John Thompson again, and Jim Calhoun was in the fold and everything. And, and then the late 2000s into 2010s, and which culminated in 2011, having 11 out of the 16 teams in the Big East make the tournament. Which one of those three periods, the 80s, 90s, or the late 2000s and 2010s, were the most potent period of the Big East? Which one? Well, they were all good. <laughs> I don't think you can argue they're all good. But in 85, we had three Final Four teams, and two of us mm-hmm. got to the Sweet 16. So... I mean, that was, uh, you know, Patrick was at Georgetown, Chris Mullen, Pearl was at mm-hmm. Syracuse, 84, 85. I mean, I think that was a big peak. You only had the nine schools. You hadn't diluted. You hadn't expanded. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the good players want to go to the Big East. If we'd have kept it at just those nine schools and didn't have to go through all the obvious expansions that we had to go through because of football, I mm-hmm. think we had the dominant conference for basketball from that day right to today. Mm. Um, you know, football comes in. You have to have a place for football. You know, we got into the ACC. Connecticut didn't, and Connecticut this year now doesn't have any place for football. And now mm. they, you know, they went back in the Big East, which will be good for their basketball program, but their football program is done. Mm-hmm. So um, the ACC has been really good because it's really helped football, and it's a great basketball league. 
So mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, obviously it's different from the little biggies, but it's still really good. We've won more NCAA championships in the last 10 years. Obviously, any conference, we've had more appearances. We've had more wins mm -hmm. uh, than any conference. So we're in a great conference. And, uh, you know, we help form a great conference. So uh, we're, we're part of two great, uh, <laughs> great leagues. Yes, yes, indeed. And, and, I, and I want to, to ask you about the time that you battled prostate cancer, 2001. Um, how, what is the message that you convey to people about how to have that mental fortitude and to keep focus on what you love to get you through those tough times? Well, the main thing is to get tested. That's the main thing, all men over 50. And if you have any history, you know, over 40. Get tested, you know, be tested, Do your, get your PSA. Because if you catch prostate cancer early, I mean, it, it's not that it's nothing, but it's an operation. And if you catch it early, there's no other additional treatments needed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's on almost 20 years for me. So it's when you don't get tested and it gets too far advanced that now you have complications. Now you have yeah. problems. And, uh, so it's being tested. That's what it is. And then when you get it, you know, it's, it's one of the ones, if you catch early, that you're, you can get through. You know, I knew mm. that. I felt that. Everybody, the, the, the history, the science said that. Uh, still scary. You don't want to go through it. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's, uh, it's, you need to be tested and get, take care of prostate cancer early and all cancer, any cancer, any type of cancer. The, the, the earlier you find it, the better your chances are. Well, no doubt about that. And, and congratulations on beating that for sure. You know, I'm sure you got so much support. I had a great support system as well, I'm sure, you know. So, wow, coach. Now, you've coached at Syracuse, as I mentioned earlier, for 44 years. <laughs> just, just amazing right there. And, and, but that longevity, having to adjust with the time, student-athlete in 1976 is much different than student-athlete in 2020. How have you been able to adjust and really uh, be key, keyed in on, on what the trends are with how young people are dealing with life and everything like that? You know, the main difference is every player thinks about the NBA from day one. Mm. You know, in the 70s, 80s, you really weren't thinking about it. You were just playing and, you know, when you got done playing after four years, you know, you said, okay, maybe I can play now. Maybe I can go further. But mm. it wasn't a thought process. Now every guy coming in uh, as a freshman thinks he can be in the NBA within a year. You know, mm -hmm. it's the hardest thing to do to get to the NBA. It's very hard. Yep. And only the top five, eight, six, seven kids in each class are really going to make it for sure. Mm -hmm. After those top seven or eight, the next 22 guys, probably 75% of them aren't going to make it. But they don't know that. They think yep. they're going to be in that group that makes it. They think they're going to be Dray Draymond Green, who was a second-round pick, who made it. Mm -hmm. but all the rest of the second-round picks that year didn't make it. It's yep. one guy made it. So yep. you really – but that's the difference. Every kid wants to play. Every kid wants to win. Uh, every kid, you know, wants to work at the game. They all want to work hard. They will work hard, uh, much harder than we did. They're willing to come in and do extra. They want to be in more than they're allowed to be in there. They want to be in the gym all the time. But, you know, it, that's the difference, the mindset. And we've devalued education. 
I mean, uh, I, yes. Freshmen and sophomores say, oh, I'll come back and get it. Well, they, they are. You know, they usually don't. You know, uh, we have an exception. Michael Carter-Williams left in two years, and he's taking courses right now. And he's, you know, got two years to make up, but he's taking courses. Yes. In the grant two years, he's taking courses. So, you know, they will, they, it'll take time, but they can get there. But there's just such a push to go. And sometimes you're just better to stay in college and get better, you know, get good enough. You don't want to go to the NBA because you get drafted. You want to go to the NBA because you can make it. Mm. You can't make mm -hmm. it. They don't develop you. I mean, they, you can right. stories you want. You go to the NBA, and if you get drafted in the first round, you're on an NBA team. They're playing games. They That's right. Four games a week. It's about bottom line, what's your role, how you can fit into the system. You're not playing. Mm -hmm. You're not practicing. Mm -hmm. They don't practice much the day of the game. And now NBA teams have even gone to resting a little bit the day before the game. But you're mm -hmm. not getting a two-and-a-half-hour workout like you would in college. So you're not getting better. So mm -hmm. if you're not good enough and you're not playing the NBA, you're not getting better, you're probably going to be out of the league. Yeah. It's, it's not enough to be on an NBA team. You've got to be in the first nine guys. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. guys are playing. Otherwise, right. we're not getting better. So it's very hard to make it. Um, and when you go there, I tell all the players, I say, you better be ready because they aren't going to – they don't have time. Right. The coach up there is going to win, wants to win. He's not playing a rookie over a veteran. It's the veteran's going to help him be two points better. <laughs> yes. He's, he's going to play the veteran. So – it's just hard. Uh, they just focus more. They're focused more on getting to the NBA. Right. And, and coach, and speaking of the NBA, the G League, there's now a program that the NBA started with the G League. We're having top recruits go straight to G League, a lot like a minor league system. Yeah. What is your take on that? Well, that's fine. Those guys are guys that were starting to go to Europe and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I think the NBA felt like we don't want to go to Europe. We better have them here. So I think they're taking the best – seven, eight players, maybe. Mm -hmm. and, and they're going to – we'll see how that works out because they don't even know who they're going to play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're talking about, well, they'll play some G League teams, but now they're talking about with this thing now, there was no minor league baseball. There might not be a G League this year. Yep. So now where are those eight guys going to play? <laughs> college getting better. So, mm -hmm. And in the future – with the NIL coming in, players will get image. They'll make some money in college. So that extra money won't be as important. And I still think college is the best training to get better. Like yep. our players are working out this summer, mm -hmm. work out in August and September. A G League player doesn't even play until October. That's right. So our That's players right. have already had three months of workouts before the G League has even started. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens. I'm not concerned about it. There's probably 150 top players in the country every year. They rate them differently, but like the hundredth best player can be in the NBA. Mm. You know, we have the 120th best player, O'Shea Brissett from Canada. He's in the NBA right now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of good players and colleges are going to get good players. And, and it doesn't matter whether it's a G League or special team or not. Uh, we're going to have good players in college. 
Right. Absolutely. And, and, and coach. Um, and, and that's, and that's a good thing overall that with the, with the minority leadership initiative and, and also too, I mean, there's a whole thing about college players getting paid and everything like that. What, uh, how is this, it's kind of a slippery slope because you know, there's so many different conferences and there's, how do they, how would they divvy it up? It's not even a slippery slope in reality. No college athletic departments, almost none, make money. So they keep talking about how much money is going into basketball. Like at Syracuse, we get money from basketball. We make a, a bunch of money. All that mm-hmm. money funds all the other sports. Mm-hmm. So if we go and give all that money to players, and they're not professionals, they're kids, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then you're not going to have the other sports. And to me, that makes no sense. Nobody – Everybody acts like we're getting rich. We're not getting rich with the money we make in basketball. We're paying for field hockey and track and field and all that. That's what we're paying for. We're paying for all those sports. And as far as players getting money, they're 18 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in college. They're not paying for school. The other 18-year-old in a class with him is paying – him or his parents are paying $70,000 to go to school. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. athlete's getting $70,000 worth of education – plus the training, the coaching, and all that for free. So that athlete's benefiting tremendously. And the professionals, the guys that are really good, are going to go on and make a lot of money playing basketball. Mm-hmm. But to pay kids, you're going to pay every player on the team the same amount. You're going to play every football player the same, every woman's player the same. You don't have the money for that. No school mm-hmm. has the money for that. And they're not professionals. They're kids. They're students. They're, and if they can make money at the NLI, I'm good for it. There'll be abuses, huge abuses, but I'm good for it. I think mm-hmm. one of our good players can go to the mall and sign autographs, make $10,000 in one day. I'm pretty sure he could. Yep. And I'm good. That's good. Now, if, if one of our players makes $40,000 doing that in a $40,000 commercial and the kids and recruits looking at that, because they will, mm-hmm. well, what's the other school? What am I going to make at the other school? Mm. And now the other school is going to say, well, you know, you're going to make that here too. You know, this is going to go back and forth. Yeah, that's the slope. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. And yep. there's schools that it'll be perfectly legal. The local car dealerships, I get, you do commercials for me this year, I'll give you $100,000. Mm-hmm. Perfectly, wow. perfectly legal. Yep. So we'll see how it works out. Ideally, in an ideal world, they just kind of get some money, you know, whatever number it is. You can make money off the internet if you're smart. Mm-hmm. Autograph days. You could run a camp. You can make twenty, thirty thousand, forty thousand dollars $40,000. Pretty easy. But like a football player, the quarterback, the running back, the star, two defensive guys, they're going to make some money. Yeah. What are the tackles and centers and guards going to make on the offensive line? <laughs> yep. And, um, ima- yeah. and imagine divvying it up, Syracuse well, late 90s, you know, with your team and then the, all the NFL players that came out of the football team. <laughs> the problem is – that tackle is saying, I'm blocking this quarterback just got $20,000 to do a commercial, my quarterback. And I'm blocking up here and getting nothing. Theoretically, and it's true mostly, 
every football player gets a scholarship. Yep. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets the same. See. In that world, somebody's going to get money. So yeah. We'll see. We'll see how it and, works. And- yeah, and, and going back to what you're saying about college, the importance of college, that's how you met your attorney through at Syracuse. You know, yeah. like things like that. You meet your future accountant, attorney, business advisor, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. I know several athletes who met guys here who they later went to business with, or, you know, mm-hmm. all that. I mean, that's what college really is. It's that developing of how you interact with people, how you handle, you know, as a freshman, you're coming in, I'd never been out in a group. I never spoke. I never knew how to do an interview. I had no idea. Our players are the same today. So, mm-hmm. you know, you learn that. That's what you learn in college, how to handle yourself. And uh, business is like athletes. Mm-hmm. They know they've worked hard. They know they've gone through tough experiences. Right. They know they've had to budget their time and work things out. Um, so athletes are – you know, well-received in the business world. Yes. Yes, indeed. Wow. And uh, Coach Beheim, there are a couple, couple more questions I have for you, but your former players that are involved in the NBA bubble, uh, it's been successful so far. No positive tests. It looks like maybe uh, MLB and, NF- and the NFL should probably take note, you know, for sure. Um, but what is it? First of all, about the bubble, do you see a lot of upsets happening because it's a neutral site, no fans, no home court advantage, a whole different situation. Players' minds are all over the place with with what's going on with their families, being away from their families. Do you see upsets going on? Do you see other than, a team other than the Lakers, Clippers, or Bucks winning it? Well, I think uh, there can be upsets. There, there, that's possible. I think this will be the most focused championship ever because, mm-hmm. I mean, they know their family. They're going to miss them, but they know they're safe. And during the normal year, end of season, you're traveling all over, you're tired, you're moving here, moving there. Then the playoffs start, you play, you travel, you you know, it wears you down. Here they're in one place. Mm-hmm. They play a game, they rest, they eat, they're, you know, sit on the sit, sit by the pool, you know, maybe play golf. Uh, but they should be able to bring all their energy and all their mental energy to the basketball court. Mm-hmm. They won't have that inspiration of the fans, you know, that noise factor. But I think you'll see – Really good basketball, and generally, uh, I mean, the best teams win in the NBA. Yep. Seven-game playoffs. I mean, the best team's going to win. In college, it's, you're never sure who's going to win. That's right, because it's one game. <laughs> it can happen in one game. That's right. But, uh, you know, the uh, NBA is different. I think it'll work good. I think the bubble works. I think that smart travel works. Golfers travel around the country. Soccer players in Europe are traveling around. It works. It's mm-hmm. worked there. I think we had one bad team, one team that didn't do what they're supposed to do with baseball. So, But we're going to have some isolated breakouts, and uh, that's why it's important if you have room, flexibility in the schedule that you can change a game, cancel a game, move on. So I think that's all important. And in college, we may lose a game here or there, but hopefully we'll get enough games in to have a good, meaningful season. Mm-hmm. The kids, the thing that's interesting to me, kids are safe on campus, I think. They're like, safe yeah. they're out in the world, Florida, Texas, and those places. 
So if we watch them and they're careful, I think they'll be, and it's a good lesson for young people. They need to learn how to discipline themselves here. You That's go right. Out, you get to parties, you're going to get tested positive, and your whole team's going to be out. So at the bubble, Carmelo Anthony, Dion Waiters, they have a chance to basically make comebacks because Carmelo took him a long time to get on an NBA team, and that was ridiculous. And then Dion Waiters joining the Los Angeles Lakers, who are basically the favorites. Talk about how both players are showing that resolve in, and, and what they can do to contribute. Well, I was really happy for Carmelo. I knew he could help Portland, and he did, and he looks great. Uh, I think he's still got a year or two left of basketball. I'm happy he's getting this and being able to go out this way. And for Dion, I think everybody knows how good he is. He's talented. And I think he's a good kid. I think he figures out, finally figured out, this is an opportunity for me. And he looks good. He looks like he's playing well. Um, he's an NBA player. He can, he can help any NBA team. So I'm glad they're both getting this opportunity. And uh, I, I think they'll make the most of it. I'm really happy for both of them uh, moving forward. Well, absolutely. Well, Coach Bayham, I want to say it's an honor and a privilege to have you on the 28th edition of Where They At. And it's great to see you. It's been a while since, since you moved to the ACC. I haven't really seen you that much, you know, since the Big East days. But I, I appreciate your time, sir. Thank you very much. Great to see you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to the 28th edition of Where They At. My name is Nabate Owls, and that's the one and only coach, Jim Beheim, Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, one of the great coaches in basketball history, not just college, but all of basketball. And he's someone that has, uh, I mean, the longevity speaks for itself. 44 years with one school, Syracuse. And he's been on the bench for Syracuse for 50 years, six years as an assistant, of course, 44 years as a head coach. And uh, he's really a, a hero to Syracuse, not just what he does on the court, but also off the court with all the charitable efforts and his contribution to society. Uh, so it was great to have Coach Jim Beheim on the show for sure. And, and uh, he's always been gracious to me since my days of covering the Big East in the late 2000s, early 2010s. So if you like this episode, please listen to the other 27 episodes of uh, where they at and uh, you can be able to check it out on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, et cetera, et cetera. And please subscribe and or follow uh, to be updated on future episodes with great individuals, great Hall of Fame caliber individuals for sure. And uh, yeah, it's just always a pleasure to talk with these people and, and learn so much from them. And if you like the music, what you hear right now, you can check it out on my website, N-A-B-A-T-E-I-S-L-E-S. -E -E That's nabateisles.com. And it's from my album, Eclectic Excursions, where you could be able to, on my website, go to the links. And uh, Eclectic Excursions is available on all digital music platforms, for sure. So thank you all once again for listening to Where They At. My name is Nabate Isles. I'll be back sooner than later. Please remember to be safe, be healthy, be blessed, stay woke, Black Lives Matter, and please really be able to pay attention to each other and be empathetic towards each other. That's really important so we can be able to have and cultivate a better society. Thanks for listening. Take care, everybody. God bless. Mm -hmm.